Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris, Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I've got a question. I want to know, what is your favorite household utensil or tool or appliance? What's something in your house that you use all the time and you wouldn't be able to live without? I don't know if I have a great answer to that. I mean, I, I, the thing that comes to mind is uh, my teapot. I mean, I make a lot of tea all the time. So there's nothing fancy or amazing about it, but we got a quality one because we do use it all the time. So, you know, that, there's a that. little teapot. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So. Oh, she's doing the dance, too. <laughs> <I'm doing> the <laughs> dance. <laughs> we got motion. Just so. more evidence for everyone should be glad this is not a video podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have an electric kettle? No, it's just on the stove, but we, we figured we'd get one that d- didn't wear out too fast or whatever. So it's really not fancy or exciting. What but, color is it? Uh, it's gray. We used to have a red one, but now, now we have a, a gray one. So, yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, but my day without that would be pretty miserable. I, I, I need my tea. That's a good answer. Okay. Eric? All right. I've got a low-tech answer like that, but then I also have a high-tech answer. So my low-tech answer is uh, I have a popcorn popping kettle for my microwave oven, which I didn't even know was possible. When someone gave it to me, I'm like, what is this thing? So it's, but it's for your microwave. I usually think of yes. a popcorn popper as like a separate thing that like no, heats it's not, it up for it's you. Not, it's not a separate appliance that you plug in. It's just a glass kettle with a rubber bottom and you just put the popcorn kernels in there and you put it in your microwave for two minutes and you get like essentially air popped popcorn, but you can do it in your microwave. I had no idea. I should have been able to figure out that this is possible since everyone's throwing bags of microwave popcorn in their microwave. Uh, But if you can get rid of all of the junk that's in bagged microwave popcorn and just have healthy popcorn, that's pretty great and super low tech. And I was blown away by the simplicity of this thing. So that's my low tech answer. My high tech answer is a gift that my son gave us for Christmas, which is an ember mug. Have you seen these yeah. things? Ember so these mug. are Wi-Fi connected mugs that you can tell the mug what temperature you would like to hold your beverage at. So when you make a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. it never cools down. Yeah. Whoa. It's pretty. They're pretty great. I need to get one of those because I'm constantly putting my coffee back in so the So there's a like heating element in the in mug? In the bottom of the mug. Yeah. Wow. And and this isn't one where there's like news stories where they explode. Or, now, now like my, no. my no. apocalyptic brain is going, wow. What about you, Nikki? Um, my fan, I have, I have a fan in my room. I used to have a fan here in my office at the church cause I just love the sound of a fan. Um, but I have to sleep with it. If I don't have a fan on, I can't sleep. So like just the white noise, I need the noise. Um, it's gotta be at the certain speed. It's a certain tone. So, I mean, if this fan ever dies, I don't know what's going to happen. I'll never sleep again. I have to like buy a bunch of fans and see if I can find, um, is this why you don't travel? Thing. No, I actually have an app on my phone. Did you record the sound of that no, particular fan? No, but I went through all the fan apps that I can find on Spotify, like all the the sound the sound playlists. I can't mm-hmm. even talk now. Playlists to try to find a fan that matched as close as possible to the one that's in my house, and I found it. So wow. if I travel, that goes on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And the other thing that's really weird that people don't understand is like I have to have it because. I hear really high pitch frequencies all the time, even at like at night, like I can hear like my neighbor's fan when my neighbor has a fan on, he clicks it off, turns it on. I can hear that frequency. Um, so like when I went to the audiologist to like get ear, like get, get ear and test, like she like, just press that button when you're going to, when you think you hear the sound, I hit it every single time. So 
when I have the fan on, it helps me sleep. If not, I'm hearing frequencies like crazy. So, oh. yeah, something oh. everybody learned about me. By the way, you finished that question by saying, or something you can't live without. So I just want to qualify this. I can live without my popcorn <laughs> maker or, Your ember mug. or an ember mug. I'm really not deeply attached to these things. But it sounds like you and your fan. That's something yeah, you can't and, live without. and Clayton and his teapot, you know? Oh, man, that's good. All right. So, Clayton, you've got some uh, some classes or something. Yeah. So we've got a few things coming up. Yeah. So one thing is uh, we are going to be starting uh, a new book in the Old Testament uh, very soon, the book of Ezekiel. We're not talking about that today, but we will be talking about it in future weeks. And uh, oftentimes we'll have someone come in and do a seminar of some kind, give you an introduction to some of these more challenging books in the Bible, Old Testament books and things like that. This time what we did is we actually interviewed an expert in the book of Ezekiel, Dr. Michael Graves. We've had him in the past for things. Uh, but we did it on the, the podcast. So I sat down with him and we talked about the book of Ezekiel for about an hour. So we're going to release this as a bonus episode, this conversation, just kind of get your bearings for the whole book. We'll still be walking through it on the podcast, uh, the, the three of us here, but to get a sense of how do you read this book? You know, where the where the important passages, what's the big themes, those sorts of things. It was a really helpful conversation. So we'll be releasing that this week. Another thing that we've got going on, we've got a couple of classes coming up uh, this Saturday, uh, February 17th, we've got How to Read the Bible. That is a class where you learn how to do the comma method in detail. It's perfect for those of you who are relatively new to this and kind of want, you know, a slow walkthrough of these things. And then on March 2nd, we've got How to Study the Bible. That's where you get into more of the tools and the uh, the, the study Bibles and the Bible dictionaries and that sort of thing. Uh, and those are both on Saturdays. So if you want to register for those, you can go to the website. Great. What passage are we looking at today? All right. Congratulations, friends. We are going to read an entire book of the Bible today. What? And before, yes, before you get too nervous, uh, it is the shortest book in the Old Testament. It is the book of Obadiah. Uh, It's just 21 verses long. So we're going to read the whole thing here. Let me give you a little bit of context. This is the first step in comma. Uh, Obadiah is set after the exile, okay, so we talked about this a lot when we were reading uh, Jeremiah and, um, and and some of the other books that are around the exile. At one point in Israel's history, they have gotten to uh, a place where God says, I got to discipline you, and I'm going to send in the Babylonian Empire, and they are going to invade and take you from your land and remove you from there. Goodbye. <laughs> That's great. And as this is going on, Babylon is coming in and taking over uh, the, you know, the, the kingdom of Judah. Their neighbors, the kingdom of Edom, are looking on and they're saying, <laughs> like, let's just look what happened to you. They, they, hey, perfect. They are uh, scoffing at the fate of God's people and mocking them as they have this trouble come in. Now, an interesting thing about Edom is this. Edom are the descendants of Esau. So maybe if you have heard some of the stories in the book of Genesis, there are these two brothers, there are Jacob and Esau, they're twins, and they have a fierce rivalry between each other. The descendants of Jacob become the people of Israel, and the descendants of Esau become the people of Edom. And essentially that sibling rivalry goes on through the ages between these two countries. And so the prophet Obadiah is coming to Edom and saying, The fact that you continue to have this rivalry, someone who should be your brother, people that you should be with, and you're mocking their downfall, this is a problem, and I've got something to say to you. So that's the context for Obadiah. Eric, you want to read it? All right, let's do it. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. 
an envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Taman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble. And they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath, the exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. All right, let's go on to the O and comma, which is observation. What do you guys see here? Well, Adam's in trouble, for sure. <laughs> yeah, doesn't sound good. Yeah, doesn't sound good for them. Um, you know, I think at, towards the second half of the the passage or the book, I guess you could say, um, when it's, when she, when it gets at verse 10, it says, because of the violence against your brother Jacob. And then it goes on to say, you should not go over and you should not march through and you should not wait. Um, I thought to myself, like, and when you see the misfortune of other people, um, sometimes you can fall into a trap of, saying, well, that probably happened to that person because of this. It probably happened to that person because of this. And they shouldn't have did this. And they shouldn't have did that. But we really don't know 
the circumstances of their life, you know? And I just, um, just thought about that. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune. My first observation is, wow. Uh, even <laughs> so, sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament prophets, it, like you get in this rhythm of reading it and in the hills of the Negev and drinking on the holy mountain Zion and, uh, and the Zarephath, and you, you, like your brain can just check out. Yeah. So you're like, I don't know all these cities. I don't know all these places. I don't know all these references. So it just starts to sound like a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Um, so that's my first observation is this is not easy to read and understand. Yeah. I, I want to recommend, um, this may feel like advanced work, but I think it pays off after you do it a little bit. When you see a bunch of names of places, um, especially if it's in like one passage, usually they are in a similar area in, in you know, the, the country. So sometimes going to a map and saying, I'm going to find as many of these as I can find on the map will often give you a sense of that. And you do that a few times, you'll start to realize, oh, I kind of know where it is already. So uh, if you just look where Edom is on a map in the back of your study Bible, most study Bibles have have maps in them. Sometimes they'll be right there in the book that you're reading. I don't know if this one has that. Uh, but certainly if you go in the back, they will have maps. Usually they're organized by time frame. So if you kind of you know, know it's the Old Testament, it's the New Testament or whatever, you can usually find them. And if you can just locate where they are, it just helps kind of settle that anxiety of like, am I supposed to know this? stuff. And one thing that's really helpful is if the city is on the map, it's probably worth remembering. If it's not, don't stress about it because they know, you know what, these are, these come up enough that we're going to put it on the map. So, um, Edom, if you're looking at a map of Israel, uh, the map of Israel on the West side, you've got the Mediterranean sea and then Egypt is over there. If you look on the East side, there are a series of small nations. One of them is Edom. So Edom's kind of to the East across the Jordan river from there. And they're up on the Heights. They're in a high area. So when it's talking about in kind of this first you know section here, it says you who live up on the Heights, well, they're in kind of the highlands and they're looking down almost like we're secure up here. And it's almost a, it's like becomes a metaphor for their spiritual state. If we're kind of proud, we think we're better than everybody else. We're haughty and that sort of thing. Um, but you can get some of that from looking at the map, looking at the geography of things. Man, that was a perfect promotion for how to study the Bible. Mm. Why, why are the maps in your study Bible? We're all, why are all those other tools in your study Bible? If you would like to learn how to use all of those tools in a good study Bible... And learn things like when you see the names of towns, you should go look at the maps. And why is that helpful? Come join me for how to study the Bible. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, alongside of that, um, Clayton, you, you just talking about like the pride. Verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. So there they are thinking like they're untouchable. And then all of a sudden, the Lord comes upon them, declares their destruction. And we've seen in, the, we've seen in, in, in other instances that... What God says in his word comes to pass. And so um, I, I think that's also, it's just a, it's a good warning for ourselves as well. We, we shouldn't think that we're in, in such a high secure place, whether when it comes up to any area of our life, you know what I mean? One of my observations, verse five and six, uh, talking, talking about how bad it's going to be for Edom when they are judged. And so this is, this is a, a great analogy. If thieves come to you, if robbers in the night, what disaster awaits you? 
but pretty much the logic is, won't they just pretty much steal whatever they want? So they're not going to come and take everything you own. They're just going to come and take whatever they want. Or if your vineyard, if someone comes to your vineyard and starts to steal the fruit, there's probably going to be some fruit left over. But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures, pill, even if you hid stuff when judgment comes, everything. So the, the, the totality of the judgment that's coming their way is uh, scary. One of my observations is this kind of brotherly relationship that's emphasized. You know, it goes back to history. You know, Jacob and Esau were actually brothers, but uh, you, you see this throughout the Bible, but it's emphasized a lot here. Edom and and Israel, or Jacob, it's called here. Um, they're meant to be um, brothers to each other. Like, they're, they're you know, they're different uh, nations and that sort of thing. So there, there's some distance there, but they're, they, they're in the right world, you know, and the th- way things ought to be, they should have been allies. They should have been friends. But there's an interesting thing. If, if you look at verse 10 and verse 11, it, ta- it keeps emphasizing your brother, Jacob, and you know, it mentions oh, you gloated over your brother. But then on uh, verse 11, it says, strangers came in, foreigners came in, and you were like one of them. So it's almost contrasting like you, th- this was meant to be your brother, but you're treating him like a stranger. Hmm. And there, there's something really vivid about that. Like if you've ever had someone that you know what? You ought to have been, you know, a, a fellow person at your church or someone who's in your family or someone you work with or a friend. Someone is like, you're supposed to be on the same team. You're supposed to be together. And you're treating them like a stranger or maybe even an enemy. There's like a shift that happens there with with certain relationships where what the way it should be, uh, it turns into estrangement there. And so uh, it's, it's kind of calling it out and, and highlighting it. Another observation here, verse 16, 17, uh, talking about the future realities of Edom, of Judah. It says, just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. So here's, here's what this seems like it's saying. So you, you drank on the holy hill. So you were, you were getting drunk, you were partying, you were carousing on the holy mountain and you thought you were getting away with it. And all the nations that ultimately will be judged along with you, they're doing the same kind of thing. They're just partying, carousing, acting as if there is no God and none of these things are real. But but on Mount Zion, there will be deliverance. It will be holy and Jacob will possess his inheritance. So saying, saying you think you're getting away with what you're doing and you think it's okay to make fun of them because their current situation looks bad. But in the future, this is going to be flipped. Judah will be delivered. And you're going to face judgment. Clint, I was trying to find it when you were talking about um, just a brotherly connection. Um, verses seven, verse seven says, all of your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. And those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In this case, like the brother who would have, you know, was supposed to be the person who he can probably count on for anything and everything in life. He's turned to outside allies, and then all of a sudden they're they're going to be the ones that turn on him. Yeah, those, um, those the, they're not going to turn out to be brothers. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's this whole theme. Like if you read through, um, starting with Genesis. So if you know, it's been a long time since we read Genesis here in Bible savvy, but 
you'll notice there is this theme of sibling rivalry that goes through the Bible. You've got Cain and Abel. You've got each generation of, uh, you know, uh, each, you know, the patriarchs, you know, Abraham has, you know, uh, sons and their rivals, Isaac and and Ishmael. And then, uh, you know, Isaac has sons, you know, uh, Jacob and Esau that are, you know, at each other's throats. And then uh, Jacob's sons are Joseph and the brothers and they, you know, they get in fights. And there's this tension that comes in with sin that divides people are supposed to be close. And and even when you get forward to Jesus's, um, his life, there is that sense of the people who are supposed to be closer than a brother, his disciples betrayed him, right? Like there's still this sense of like, there is something that breaks the bonds that are supposed to be closest. And what turn, what should be ally, I've got your back, turns into betrayal. Like there's a deep tragedy there that like there's anger here, obviously from God, but there's also a sorrow of like, this is not, this is not how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to have brothers. You're supposed to have people that are close to you. And there's a, there's like a a sad thread running through the Bible about that. Which also informs present day Middle East realities. Like whenever somebody talks about conflict in the Middle East and whatever is going on at any period of time, Right now, it's what's going on in Gaza between Israel and Gaza. and But there's always something brewing. Oh, yeah. And and people like to simplify that as if it's just, well, those two people groups can't get along. Okay. Uh, we have the story starting in Genesis. This is deep-rooted dysfunction. And the way that all of those nations and people groups relate to each other has thousands of years of history that's informing it. Yeah. And, it, and it's also the human story everywhere. The, the reality is when countries go to war, they're usually not like widely separated from each other. You know what I mean? Like Ukraine and Russia, guess what? They've always been there at each other's throat. You know, when there's rebellions in this half of the country, that like, this is the thing, the people that like the stuff that goes on with God's people here is actually like an icon, like a, like a, like a, an example, a type of what happens with all humans. It's, it's, it's a tragic thing. Um, another observation here though, it it comes from the end. Um, I'm looking at that kind of final section, that final paragraph. There is something about the hope for the future that's there, uh, talking about those who are exiled are actually going to be brought back. So there's this sense of like the people who are secure on the Hills are going to be brought down. And those who are scattered and it seemed like they lost everything are going to come back and they're going to possess their inheritance. They're going to get what what belongs to them. They're going to come back and have that. And that final note, the kingdom will be the Lord's is really definitive. You know what I mean? It's like that. This is more than just two small nations in the Middle East. What are they? Who's going to whatever? It's like, no, 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 no. This is a cosmic scale thing. The kingdom will be the Lord's. He's going to put things right. All right, let's go on to one of the M's in comma. We'll start with meditation today, and we'll actually use that final verse in the the book here. It says, verse 21, 45 seconds to ponder this. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's.
All right. Let's talk about the other M in comma, which is message. How do you take something that you saw in this passage and sum it up in a principle or an idea that you could apply to your life? Uh, my message is going back to to what I said really uh, drew my attention was verse 12. And, and I'm just going to make that my message. Uh, you should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune. Uh, and then a little bit later, it says, um, or so much in the day of their trouble. So you should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune or trouble. I'm going to go with that verse that we just meditated on. And I'm going to make the verse my message, the kingdom will be the Lord's. There's a lot of details in here, a lot of things going on. Mm -hmm. And I'll try to sort through them when I'm reading the Bible and and understand what's going on in the text. Sometimes you get verses like this, and it's kind of like this summation that kind of lets you breathe a little bit and say, okay, even if I don't understand everything I just read, I can understand the fact that this is all going to shake out one way or the other, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Mm -hmm. Uh, my message is betrayal is not the last word in your story. And we, we can talk more when we get to application about that. But I think there are a lot of people who can relate, maybe not with the, you know, uh, my country is invaded and the people gloated, but the the people who are close to me uh, betrayed me. They, they took the side of, of my enemies and were against me. Um, but the truth of this this book is betrayal is not the last word in your story. All right, let's talk about the A and comma application. What do we do in response to this? So my message is you should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune or trouble. Um, My application is to pray. If we should not gloat, we should be praying. And so that, uh, what I think about is, is, like I said earlier, sometimes we can be quick to say, well, that probably happened to this person because of this. And we start to assume all of these things and try to start to connect the dots and fill in the blank. We don't know what, we don't know why, but God does. So we should pray. Um, And so that's, that's a good reminder for me. Don't gloat. Don't try to figure it out. Just pray. So my message is, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. And just thinking through this this uh, book, Obadiah, you have the nation of Israel. They're being disciplined. God's allowing the Babylonians to come and invade the nation of Israel. And Edom is watching, and they're not. They're not only not helping. They're gloating and mocking and then making things even worse. So you have this whole hodgepodge of all of this nation versus nation. And what the message, the kingdom will be the Lord's, helps me to do is remember that it's kingdom first. It's not any particular nation on the globe that's the most important thing. And so, especially now, as we're entering an election year here in the United States of America, and people are going to get all wrapped up in all kinds of political discourse, and we're going to forget that the United States of America is not the most important thing, that the kingdom of God is the most important thing. We, can, we should love our country, serve our country, be grateful for our countries, right? all of those things that the scriptures tell us. But we should always remember that the kingdom will be the Lord's. That's good. That's good. My message was betrayal is not the last word in your story. And this gets complex with um, particular situations. Some some people have been uh, deeply hurt in really profound ways. Um, and and yet there is a, a danger, um, even when you take it really seriously, a family member, a loved one has done something to wrong you, has, has deeply hurt you. Um, one of the things that, that keeps us from making progress in life when that happens is by thinking that's the the sum total of the story for me. 
this is the thing that, that kind of is the center of gravity for my understanding of myself and how I live and how I see things, uh, where that becomes, th- this person did that thing to me. And suddenly that's the, that's the beginning and the end of your story all the time. Like that's, it always comes back to that. Right. And that's, that can be either in how you present yourself to others. It can be in how you feel about your life, how you interpret yourself and that sort of thing. There are some really, there's some real benefit when we look at our story and say, this is not where it's going to end. God will take care of these things one way or the other, either, either bringing healing in that relationship or bring justice in that relationship, maybe a bit of both. Uh, that's it really important. And the ability to let God hold that and to say, I have been wronged. It really hurt, and it was not right. But I'm going to put that in God's hands because He will bring justice to those things. He, he He can handle the proud. He can handle the people who think that you know they they're arrogant and they they did these things. Um, but there's also something about saying there's hope for more than this. Uh, it can kind of open you up, uh, and you can say, you know, what? I can look beyond this, and this doesn't have to. I don't have to bring this into every relationship, every new thing that I go into, saying, oh, this is the thing that happened to me. No, you can put it in God's hands and know that betrayal is not the last word in your story. That's good stuff. All right, friends, thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, check out BibleSavvy.com to download the plan and to start reading with us today. And you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.